you, Charles, and, and the team. If you don't know me, sorry, Celeste. If you don't know me, I'm Chris Barker. I'm one of the two elders up for reaffirmation at the annual general meeting coming up shortly. And I'm going to talk to us today about how to grow a church, or more precisely, discipleship. You may think that that would be Matthew 28, where I'm going to preach from, but the reality is I'm going to preach from something quite different, and the idea of growing uh, is part of that. I'm actually going to preach from the parable of the sower, and so the idea of growing is the seed, and the seed growing into plants and full germination. But before I start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here together today to celebrate you, your life, your death, your resurrection, your coming again. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your heart, your sight today. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds ate, came and ate it all up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, 60 or 30 times that was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So I wonder, do we have any keen gardeners here? No, one or two? Cool. And I wonder, do you, do you sow seed? And does it yield a, a, a harvest? We've got a couple of tomato plants that are about this big and uh, we're diligently looking after them and uh, enjoying watching them. But in this story, where is the farmer? Sorry, who is the farmer? Anybody? So the farmer's just in the story. Uh, who's heard this story before? Well, once or twice. Anybody never heard it before? In, in, just as a matter of interest. Okay. So, the farmer goes out and sows seed. All right. What's the seed? Yeah. So, this is a story about evangelism, is it? There's a parable where... Jesus is telling us we need to sow the seed. We need to tell people the good news, the gospel. 
Okay. Why? Trying to kill myself on a microphone. Why? Why use parables? Anybody besides me a teacher? Yeah. Oh, I wanted to prepare to admit it. Okay. <laughs> you can always tell teachers we we stand out a mile away. When I'm explaining something that is really quite like dry wheat picks in a desert. <laughs> you know, that picture worked for you? I, I, I teach cloud computing, all right? I'm, I'm up in Auckland tomorrow teaching MITRE 10 all about cloud computing uh, tomorrow. And you know what? That's a very dry topic. And it's, it's, quite, it's quite difficult to get your head around. So what I do is I tell parables. I use stories of things that are familiar to my audience to explain things that are unfamiliar. So that, I think, is what's going on here. Who is the farmer? Is it us? Is it God? Is it Jesus? Somebody is spreading the seed, planting the seed. What is the seed? Is it the gospel? Is it evangelism? What is it? Have you ever sat and thought about this? And why use parables? Well, I touched on that just a moment ago. Let me continue reading because Jesus explains... So the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and I, in turn, would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. It's actually quite powerful words, aren't they? How's that for an explanation? Why use parables? So if you look at that passage we just read 
wisdom is revealed to the disciples. Would you agree? Blessed are you, for you hear, you see. And those who are not disciples, if you'll allow me to use that term, non-disciples, don't hear, don't understand. They can't understand. That's why they need a metaphor, a story. Okay? So what about us? Well, let's keep reading the passage because Jesus goes on and explains what the parable is about. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Sounds quite clear, doesn't it? The path, hard, compacted, the rocky ground, dry, arid. with a very shallow soil. Sorry, I couldn't read it up there. A thorny ground, too much competition, too much going on. I'm sorry, I'm too busy. And the good ground yields a return. Got it? Well, one or two people are nodding, which is, which is encouraging, thank you. Where's the farmer? G going back to those people who are gardeners or my little tomato plants, do, do, you, do you water your garden? Would, would you leave seed on the path? Would you weed your garden so that there's less competition for the nutrients in the ground? Where's the farmer in that story? The farmer's absent in that story. So, who is the farmer? I would argue we are. The church is the farmer. And just like a gardener looks after their garden, it is our job to deal with those people who are not understanding, who need the parables, who need that explanation of the unfamiliar with using the familiar to make it understandable and acceptable. That is the path. 
We need to open people's minds. We need to have the conversation. It takes time. It takes relationship. What about the rocky ground? Well, Celeste waters her garden. I water my tomato plants. Do, do you water your grass? Don't look at my lawn, it's terrible. There's more weeds in it than there is anything else. But do, do you water your garden? Do you, would, would you, as a gardener, not do that? You would, you would, you would water it. And that's what we need to do. If you have a look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 6, Paul planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. God gave the growth. So this takes more time, more relationship. What about the thorny ground? Well, I would argue this is discipleship. We all have things competing. This afternoon, I've got to go to a choir concert for my, one of my grandchildren who's singing in a choir for the first time. We thoroughly expect that to be an absolute disaster, but that's what he's doing. And, and then I'm off on a plane to Auckland so that I can go and teach my to 10 tomorrow about cloud computing. Well, how do you fit in that time to help grow the church, grow people's faith, grow people's experience, grow that seed that needs the watering, the plant, the, the, the um, attention. And so we need to do this discipleship, this spending time one-on-one -on -one mentoring each other, being accountable to each other. That is the thorny ground. But what about the good ground? That is us, right? But the, the passage doesn't actually say much about the good ground itself. However, have a quick look. If I can find it quickly. At Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, through to 47. So let me just read it to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were gathered together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Does that sound like looking after the good ground? Adding fertilizer, pulling out the odd weed, adding water, nourishing. So, I entitled this How to Grow a Church. Now, I really was choosing it because the parable of the sower is about seed and growing plants and yields and so on and so forth. And the, therefore, it appealed to me that that was sort of what we have as far as that is concerned. But really, the title of this is Discipleship. And can you see where my argument, where I'm coming from as far as this passage is concerned? This passage is not actually just about evangelism. 
it's actually about what it takes to grow the people of God. And that, I would argue, is our job. Mine, yours, ours. Even those online. Give you away. So, I have a conclusion for you. Every sermon should have three points. Here are my three points. One, two, three. If our job as discipleship is to help people understand the gospel so that they can make an informed decision and start on their journey and then continue on that and grow and, and weather the storms of life and the crises of faith and all the other things that come along, then if we want to oversimplify that down to something that each of us can take away, then each one of us is responsible to reach one. Each one, reach one. So who are you having a conversation with? Who are you telling the story to, to explain the, the things that cannot be understood and explaining that in ways that they can understand? Equally, who are you teaching, mentoring, discipling? Who are you watering the ground so that it is yielding fruit? Who are you being uh, accountable to or who is accountable to you? Who is that that you're working on? Because that is the second part of my oversimplification of discipleship. Each one, teach one. And lastly, we need to be taught by someone. We need to be learning all the time. Be it about faith, or be it about things in life, be it about work, whatever. I, I was on a course the other day and somebody taught me something on the very topic I was teaching. I went, wow, I learned something. And we need to be open to that to allow people to teach into our lives. So therefore, each one be taught by one and be open to being taught. So that, in a nutshell, is my oversimplification of discipleship. Each one reach one. Each one teach one. Each one be taught by one. Norera, tenakoto, tenakoto, tenakoto kato.